This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 630 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. There was a rumor we were killed in the flooding last week. The good news is the Ziggurat is just tall enough that the water came through everything except for the Sanctum Sanctorum. So we just hung out in there and it got really stinky. But, you know, here we are. My name is Matt Baum and I'm your head number one. Uh, I mean, it's good news or bad news, depending on your point of view. I suppose that's uh, true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm your head number two, but I'm sure you know me better as the Internet's Joe Patrick. If you are new here, welcome aboard uh, to our bi-monthly, or is it bi-weekly? I don't know. I don't know. I, it's it's bi-monthly if you're every other if you're other, if you're a comic that comes out every other week, you're bi-weekly. Okay. Then maybe we no, you're bi-monthly? Maybe bi-weekly. we're bi-monthly? I don't know. Bi-monthly means every other month in publishing. Every other week we do a new comic book review show. <laughs> That's right. How's that? That's right. We All do. Right. As Matt said, Matt and I are reviewing comics from the first two weeks of August, and then we'll hit you with our must-read picks for next week. And finally... The Suicide Squad hit the big screen, so the comic pushers are here to suggest some highly addictive squad comics. It's all happening on this inclusive, informative, and mostly positive episode, which would probably get more press and downloads if we were more racist and misogynistic. But we're taking the high road, damn it! Now let's figure out how we're going to fit all these poop jokes into our first segment. It's review time in the Ziggurat! Wow. What a journey. Lock today's review. <laughs> today's reviews come from the past two New Comic Book Wednesdays, August 4th and today, August 11th. And the pile is teeming with new official X-Men's, Batman of the late 80s, mob enforcers with monster issues, and a sad Skeletor story. Matt, start us off with your first comic review from last Wednesday. Let's talk about Porcelain, number one from Ablaze. It's $3.99 and here's your creative team. It was written and drawn by Maria Lovett. She's a double threat. We love those in the ziggurat. Here's your solicit. You may notice we're going back to reading the solicits because it's just a better way than, you know, spoiling stuff. Typically, they don't spoil stuff. Beryl's life in the desert, living with her aunt and her cat, is relatively simple until the day she finds and enters the dollhouse. Stuck inside an ever-changing mystery house that hunts children and turns them into dolls, Beryl goes on a psychotic psychedelic pardon me not a psychotic journey that would be different she goes on a psychedelic journey i mean time will tell sure where she must face the notion of her own limitations and move past them dot 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 before she becomes the building's newest prey i don't know much about a blaze or maria lovett for that matter but i can see why there was so much buzz around this creator lovett also worked on a book called Eros slash Psyche at a blaze that got a lot of attention outside of dumb superhero focused shows like this one. And the reviewers were right. She is an artistic powerhouse with amazing, delicate, thin line style that reminds me of masters like Milo Minara, minus the porn, of course. There- I mean, she does drop porn. Oh, does she? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, yes. Yeah. Her, I would say her first kind of bigger break in terms of american comics was uh and the book is escaping me it was that brian azarello 
I mean, let's not call it porn. Let's call it erotic comic. It was erotic. Yes, there it was go. erotica. Yeah. Uh, as faithless, our friend I think Aaron it was called. Meyer, as our friend Aaron Myers likes to say. Erotic. Yeah, yeah. No, he likes, no, that guy likes porn. Right, and he's uh, not afraid of it. And I like that about him. There, This was not porn by any means. There no. is a lot going on here, but there isn't much dialogue. Lovett is telling an amazing story with her art and eye-popping colors. Everything about the book down to the paneling and design is deliberate and just gorgeous. While it could be criticized as being a quick read, the cover price is worth it just for the art. I'm betting there is a beautiful collected edition in the works when the series ends and it will be going on my bookshelf. She's really, really good at what she does. I'm giving this a buy it. Okay. Well, here's where, here's where I'm the jerk, I guess. Uh, I did think that the art was beautiful. I think Maria Lovett is a, is a tremendous artistic talent. Oh my God, she's amazing. But, uh, every book I've ever read, some of which she has written, some of which she hasn't, but every book I've ever read that she's worked on, I've ended it and gone, man, that was weird. And not always in a way that I was like, yeah, that was weird. I want to know more. This one I think came the closest for me. Uh, where, you know, this is a kind of a, a much more straightforward, like horror trope yeah. or horror story, not tropey necessarily. Um, Faithless, uh, the Azarello book was, was all like this, like sexy demon tries to seduce a sexy artist who might be a sexy wicked. And it's like, okay. That all sounds sexy and fun. I don't know. <laughs> I get it. No, I mean, no, it's not that, I mean, and I get it. And there's a place for that. And by all means, if you enjoy it, that's great. But I read the, I read several issues of that series and I, I flipped through the first couple of the sequel and I was like, I, I, this does nothing for me. It does nothing for me. Uh, other than the art, which is tremendous. Uh, this I read and I was like, yeah, it took me about 30 seconds to read, which is fine because it's visually, it's a visual feast. Yeah. I took my time with um, it because it was so pretty. It's like yeah. a very, you know, Miyazaki type story. Going yeah. On right. Uh, Maybe a well, little darker. Yeah. But. Well, yeah. Miyazaki. I mean, sure. But I mean, it's, um, it's me it's Miyazaki. It's Miyazaki's nightmares. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I liked the art quite a bit. The story, I'm not sure there's enough story there to really sink my teeth into. I'm giving it a skim it, uh, a strong skim it, you know, saying that if you flip through this on the, on the shelf and you're like, yes, this is absolutely my jam. Check it out. It's an art. Um, book. No question. Because really it's, it's there to look at. And the yeah. story is something that will hopefully come together over the course of future. issues. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. This is a book for artists. No question. Well, if there's one thing I hate, it's art. And uh, don't forget porn and erotica. And be sure to log into our site and get your Joe Patrick Prude Dude t-shirt. Available now. (laughs) Moving back into familiar territory, it's X-Men number two from Marvel Comics, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Larraz. It's $3.99. Here's your solicit. Always bet on X. As th- yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Snake, snake. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, as threats hurtle toward the earth from all sides, the fearless X-Men fight a seemingly unstoppable wave of annihilation. Some might call it the annihilation wave. But even more dangerous threats lurk in the darkness, ready to strike in secret. So doing a little bit of catching up here. Uh, obviously, we were uh, absent the week X-Men number one came out. I was looking forward to it very much. And uh, just too much had, too much time had passed. And so we skipped it. I was in uh, sex rehab. It, you were in jail. 
Yes, yeah, right. That's right. Uh, in the wake of Ten of Swords and the Hellfire Gala, not to mention the mutant race's wholesale takeover of Mars on behalf of Araco, the Krakoan Quiet Council has decided that the world needs to see a team of mutant superheroes again. And so, the latest team of X-Men are born. Cyclops, Jean Grey, Wolverine, not that one, Rogue, Sink, Sunfire, and <sighs> Polaris will be the mutant representatives to the hero world. They've got a sweet treehouse headquarters in the middle of New York City, and their first order of business is to defend it from an alien monster that would have given H.G. Wells nightmares. The treehouse is cool as hell, by the way. The treehouse is rad. <laughs> it's cool as hell. Yes. Uh, little do they know that the Earth is the latest playground of an intergalactic version of Atlantic City run by an incredible fungus creature called Cordyceps Jones. <laughs> and that is just issue one. The second issue features a great callback to a classic Marvel cosmic event. You might have figured out which one by now. And some really great character work on Duggan's part. The Korvac saga. Yeah, it's the Korvac saga. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That's uh, that's Defenders, actually. Oh, yeah. Actually, call back to the right. Korvac saga. You're right. The way he has this group interacting and using their powers together is really inventive and entertaining. Even Polaris, who I was down on because she won the fan vote over my boy Banshee. Nothing against her. She's pretty awesome here. There's nothing I can really say about Pepe Alaraz that we haven't already said a thousand times. Suffice it to say that this is the best looking X book on the stands right now. Hands down. I thought about it hard. I thought about all the other books in the line. It's, I'm like, no, it's not it's this. It's not close. It's, it's this book. Yeah. This book and, and sword, which is drawn by the other guy that drew Dawn of X. Right. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, uh, this is beautiful. It's gorgeous. The character and creature designs are amazing. Cordyceps Jones is such a wonderful creature design. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it. I, I mean, I'm just going to, I, I said too much already by saying he was sort of a fungus creature, yeah. but you need to look at this book. Don't tell him. If you haven't seen it, you need to I look won't. at this Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, cool. no. It's so cool. <laughs> it is. Uh, and Marte, Marty Gracia's colors continue to elevate La Raza's already stellar artwork. X-Men number two and number one kick off the mutant team book I have been longing for since Dawn of X started and it was worth the wait. It gets a huge buy it. Yeah. People are going to say we're in on the take. Cause every time we talk about an X book, we give it a good review, but quite honestly, I, not true these days. I, I, some of them I'm starting to get tired of. I'm, well, we haven't reviewed those, but we can talk about them later. They just keep putting out great stuff. And this Jerry Duggan book is fantastic. And quite honestly, yeah. I would read it every month just to see how he's going to get this team to use their powers together to do something yeah. wacky. Uh, there's, uh, <laughs> there's something they do something in issue. First of all, you've got this collection of uh, characters, right? And you're like, okay, well, Wolf, uh, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Wolverine. Sure. Okay. Sunfire. He brings something new to the table. What can Polaris do that Jean can't? Well, you know, some stuff. And then you've got sync whose whole power is to copy other characters. What's interesting about that. Let me tell you, there's a lot. That's interesting about Sink. Yeah, he's, the way he he just like backs everybody up, and it's yes. it's so cool. Uh, he's treating they, them like a Dungeons and Dragons group, where it's kind like, of yeah. This he's character like does a, this. Yes, this exactly. character does it. We got like a tank. He buffs. You got he's a fighter. You got a buff. Yeah, and it, it's yeah. such a great. 
I don't know why. And I know this has been done before. This is definitely not the first time. Oh, yeah, time. sure. Yeah. They, and it, but they all have a role to play. Yeah. I, it reminds this, me of when they would like, they didn't have a fantastic car and Sue would make an invisible bubble and Johnny would blow sure. fire out of the back of it. And for some reason, you know, the thing had to steer it. <laughs> and right, yeah, Mr. Fantastic would stick his arms out the window and make wings. You know, like, right. it's great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this team book seems better thought out than so many uh, in the past that yeah. just seemed like a collection of characters definitely you know, that the writer wanted to write about or that were cool or whatever no and and that was a and, lot of the criticism that i saw out there I was like do, we don't need another x-men book when there's most too much X-Men. oh no whatever no 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 this is deliberate and, jerry yes. duggan has thought this through he's telling a great story and it's straight this is the straight superhero x-men book you wanted the other weird stuff it is there but it's in the background yeah. it's in the background Right. So this is the X book for those of you who are mad and want to read a superhero book. Here it is. Yes. And like, and I'll tell it, I'll say I was worried when they said they're relaunching X-Men I and Hickman's too. not writing it. Yeah. I was like, Oh, uh, but yeah, no huge buy it. I, Matt, you're giving it a buy it as well, right? You didn't really actually say I already so yet, did. I already said, I, said I don't think you gigantic buy it. I loved it. I don't think both issues. X-Men one and two buy it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Alas, that was mystique, not Magneto. Magneto is in another place. Go, X-Men! Let's go to something a little more heady, because uh, that's what I like to read, personally. This is The Me You Love in the Dark, number one, from Image. It's $3.99, your creative team. It's written by Scotty Young, with art by Jorge Corona, who draws like Scotty Young. Here's your solicit. <laughs> I mean... Writer Scotty Young! I hate Fairyland Deadpool! Strange Academy, which is not in all caps. And Neither is Deadpool, artist, to be fair. Oh, you're right. Hooray, Corona! Number one with a bullet! Super Sun's Feathers. Follow up their critically acclaimed series, Middle West, with a brand new haunting tale. An artist named Roe retreats from the grind of the city to an old house in a small town to find solace and inspiration without realizing the muse within is not what she expected. Fans of Stephen King and Neil Gaiman will enjoy this beautifully dark and disturbing story of discovery, love, and terror! Uh, for those of you that are new, whenever they uh, put a solicitation out and things are written in all caps, Joe and I have decided you just have to scream it. That's the rules. That's what they want you to really, do, right? But I don't, I don't do that anymore. Though, yeah, so. you sure do. You do. You're not going back on it. I don't. Reading that solicit reminded me I fell off Middle West and I really liked the issue I read back in 2018. Young and Corona are officially a thing now. They're doing their second book together and they have definitely hit the mind meld stage of their team up. Corona's art is very Scotty Young reminiscent with his Tim Burton cartoon style, but I honestly almost think Corona might be doing it better. <laughs> For two guys writing a female-driven story, they do an excellent job fleshing out Rose's character, her neurosis as she, and her neuroses as she tries to force her art. There's a fantastic effect for the ghost in the house where Corona superimposes these white, wispy, almost kind of spinal cord looking shapes in the panels that show the spirit's presence. When, I thought that was the music. I thought that was supposed to be the music. No, I think that's the spirit, dude. When Young isn't drawing Marvel characters as babies for variant covers, he is a very solid writer and Corona's art could not be better for this kind of possibly friendly ghost story we don't really know yet the team looks to have another winner on their hands though and i'm on board for more i'm giving this a buy it you made a noise when i said that i think corona might be doing it better than scotty young uh okay so uh, i did make a noise but i was gonna i didn't want to interrupt uh, so 
my question is, when was the last time you saw Scotty Young draw something that wasn't a Marvel baby or a Wizard of Oz or a I hate Fairyland? Yeah, I mean, that's what like, he, it's all. It's what it's all he's done for years. Is right. like little kids. That's kind of what he does. Now. Wait, and, that, and that's fine. You know, that's fine. He's, he's good, good at it. it. He's very good at it. Um, so when you say that this book looks just like Scotty Young, I have to disagree. I, did, I'm not I saying, mean, it's not saying just like I'm saying uh, not, yeah, reminiscent. I, yeah, but, yes. I, I mean, it is of a similar, like super exaggerated yes. animation adjacent, um, you know, style. But Jorge Corona is also kind of a chameleon. That yeah. dude has drawn things. Uh, he drew, I don't know if you guys remember this. You probably don't. I, I'm sure Matt doesn't. Jorge Corona did a fill-in issue of The Flash uh, some time ago. And it was something that I was very excited about because it was like Wally-centric and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it was gorgeous. It was a gorgeous comic book. But even that was even, that was more traditionally superhero-esque. Yeah. This is much more... Uh, like you said, almost Tim Burton-ish. And, oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, I thought that the art was beautiful. I think I, I, the reason I, so the reason I made a noise uh, is because I think to, I don't want to sell Jorge Corona short by saying he's doing what Scotty Young does because I think that he is doing what Jorge Corona does. I'm not selling him short. he's doing it very, very well. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell him short by any means. I, the guy is amazing. But yes, here he yes. is doing something similar. Uh, I mean, it is in it is in the yeah, right. It is in the ballpark. Like if you put if you gathered all of these, uh, if you gathered up a lineup and you said which one of these is a, isn't a Scott a Young book, I don't think this is the one you'd pick. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it it, it, it fits in. Um, Middle West is something I completely missed out on uh, because uh, Scotty Young. I'll be honest. Uh, when he first got started as a writer, I wasn't super sold on it. I hate Fairyland. Got old for me pretty fast. Uh, but I thought that this book was excellent. It was great. I thought this was really, really wonderful. And uh, they should call it uh, the me you watch take a bath in the dark because you know that's what's happening. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's very yeah, it's very. Uh, it's very Patrick Swayze's ghosts, romancy type stuff. At, at least that's the way it looks like it's going to be. We don't know. The cover to issue two has a very creepy looking what the, if that's what the ghost really looks like, I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> it's not a handsome man. I don't think it is. I think there's going to be a twist there. We'll, we'll, see. we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. But yeah, no, I thought this was great. I thought this was great. Uh, Corona is, is a tremendous artist. This is a buy it for me. And it actually made me think, oh, I should go back and check out Middle West because I totally missed it. It was the Flash number nine. Kid Flash of Two Worlds. Josh Williamson, Penciler, Jorge Corona. So it was DC Rebirth. Yeah. It was early on in DC Rebirth. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, because it was Wally meets Wally. Yep. Enough of this heady shit. Let's go back to your dumb superhero comics, Joe. Okay. Your dumb superhero comics. Yes, I, they are. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll come out. They them. are all. I like mine. to see what the peasants are reading too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Our last book from August 4th is Suicide Squad. Get Joker. Number one. It's got an exclamation point at the end of it. It's from DC Comics slash Black Label. It's written by Brian Azzarello with art by Alex Maleev. It's six ninety nine. It's a beefy boy. It's a thick book. Yeah, uh, uh, it was every bit of like forty some pages. It was like forty eight pages. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Here's your solicit. 
critically acclaimed and best-selling author Brian Azzarello. You might know him from that book that didn't show Batman's dick. <laughs> and Eisner award-winning art legend Alex Maleev. You definitely don't know him from anything that's not Batman No Man's Land. Like, you know, Daredevil. <laughs> or anything else that DC <laughs> no, didn't put out. No! Collaborate for the first time in this three-issue oversized prestige plus format Suicide Squad series pitting Red Hood, Harley Quinn, Firefly, and more of DC's most villainous criminals eh, against the Joker. When Task Force X's Amanda Waller sets her sight on Batman's greatest foe, she enlists the Dark Knight's former partner, Jason Todd, to track down the clown prince of crime and put an end to his mad reign of terror. This series combines two things that DC and especially Black Label can't seem to get enough of. The Suicide Squad, now in theaters, and the Joker. There are like 18 different Joker Black Label books. Okay, let's not ignore the fact that there were four Suicide Squad books that came out this week. Weren't they all one shots? No, well, I mean, regardless. <laughs> yeah, no, still. Suicide yeah, Squad. I mean, it's a lot. The, book, the, there's a King but, Shark book and then like another one. This is it's true. It's true. <laughs> now, I have soured on a lot of Brian Azzarello's more recent writing, uh, but his style does work well here. His usual overwrought tough guy dialogue is in full effect, but at least it makes sense for these characters. Yeah. He's assembled a true team of losers under the leadership of Jason Todd. And other than Harley Quinn, there isn't a single one that I think is safe from a grisly fate. Amanda Waller makes some truly baffling decisions that don't seem in character at all for how strategically intelligent she's supposed to be. But, you know, hey, it's Black Label. So I guess she can be whatever the creators need her to be. Alex Maleev's art is as enjoyable as ever, though his tendency to use reference poses not necessarily like photo reference of faces, but like, like an Alex Ross style, right? Where he gets a guy and puts him in a pose and then draws a pose. Right. Uh, it can make the action seem a little stiff, uh, but there were a couple of legitimate uh, moments where I was caught off guard by both the brutal by either the brutality of the action or the graphic nature of the visuals. Uh, Maliv is a very effective artist for a series like this. Uh, Suicide Squad get Joker is more fun than I was expecting it to be, though I don't know if I'm really uh, into it enough to continue reading. So I'm going to give it a skim it. I, okay, I'm kind of where you're at, but I'm going to take it a little further. I felt like this book was kind of a mess. Like this is a black label book, but in the early parts of the story, the Red Hood is cussing with Grawlix, which are like the symbols for some Grawlix. reason in his head. And there's even, a, there's like a scene that doesn't, I, I just don't get it where he's talking about, he's like, I became the Red Hood. Admittedly, not a great one, but one with some sad significance. One I made, Grawlix. So I'm going to say shitty or right. Or, and then he says shitty as in above the law. And then which, when you act that way, shitty the law off. Like what is the cuss word that's supposed to be going in here? I don't understand. Oh, to be clear, it's not actually <laughs> shitty. You're no, just, it's like Grawlix. Yeah. One I made, Grawlix. So, uh, Grawlix is no, in above I, the law. Grawlix the no. law off. <laughs> So this is where this is where no, my conspiracy no, brain kicks in. And this is DC saying, or Azarello maybe saying, oh, we don't actually see Robin cuss. Okay, because like, we well, see Robin pretend to cuss. But he's red Robin at that point. And for red panels, hood, yeah, no. Or he's red hood at that point. And four panels later, people are dropping F bombs all over the place. No, I understand. I'm including talking including Jason Todd. 
Oh, well, see, I didn't, th- I didn't catch that. He cusses too. <laughs> I right. was like, what well, is then, happening here? I got, then I got nothing. I got so, nothing. I, I don't have know no if justification. this wasn't a black label book until it was a black label book. And they no, forgot to a change that. Book. We should also mention this is the book where wild dog comes out as an insurrectionist. And honestly, I can't say that it bothered me that much. It sucks that the creators didn't, you know, want yeah, that to happen yeah. in the character. But the, I breezed. the way that he does it in this book is pretty funny. And it's not too far off to believe that a white guy that loves Uzis and wears a hockey sure, mask yeah. might be an insurrectionist. The wild dog stuff I breezed right past because right. this book is clearly not in continuity. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, so it's like if, D, if DC is like, yeah, Jason Todd went to prison, uh, right. which, you know, spoilers, it's in the first two seconds of the book. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, Jason Todd is not in prison in, in the mainline DC universe. Uh, and then they, if they want to say that this version of wild dog was a white supremacist uh, insurrectionist, that's fine. Yeah, Whatever. It, it doesn't matter because this version of wild dog is going to get killed. I mean, he is right. I mean, if he was my character, would I be happy? No, but he's not. But, and also I would argue it doesn't count. So let's all settle. It down. doesn't count. Right. Let's all settle down. Regardless. I'm going to give this a skimming as well. Not because it's poorly done executed it just kind of feels all over the place and i don't really get why we're doing it and black label just confuses me anymore oh, i get why we're doing and it. there's we're doing too it much suicide squad and there's yeah. too much joker and if you're going to give me more suicide squad and more joker it better be the best goddamn thing i've ever read this was not the best goddamn thing i've read it was perfectly fine i'm giving it a skim it I'm not mad at DC trying to capitalize on the Suicide Squad. No. That's, you, we, we knew that they were going to do it. Right. And so, like, this book's existence is not a puzzle. No. It, but it's just, it's just uh, feels it also doesn't really do, an, it doesn't really justify its own existence enough that I'm like, yes, yeah, I'm into this. That's just it. It's not black label enough to be black label outside of a few cuss words. It's just basically an elseworld, elseworld with some cussing. What would make it black label enough? Dicks. Just out of curiosity. Black label doesn't have. We've decided that, that are... black label equals dicks. But We've black decided. label by definition now does not equal dicks. Well, not by my definition, pal. All right. Okay. Sorry. Not my black label. Gosh, Batman. How could a man like Chantel, the world's greatest penis, take up a life of, of murderous crime? Let's move forward to this week and talk about Campisi, number one from Aftershock 499, your creative team. It's written by James Patrick with art by Marco Locati. No relation, no relation, by the way. James, James Here is your solicit. Sonny Campisi is a small time fixer for the mob controlled neighborhood of Green Village. If you don't pay your gambling debt, he'll come and collect. If you're a little rough with one of the girls, he gets a little rough with you. But when a dragon flies into town and Sonny is the one who's tasked with getting rid of it, it's a problem, unlike any he's ever faced. And a chain of events begins that will affect everyone who lives in the neighborhood, especially Sonny. A new comic by James Patrick, writer of Kaiju Score, and breakout artist Marco Locati. Campisi is a genre mashing comedy thriller that plays like one part Get Shorty, one part Dragon Slayer, and all parts absurdly wonderful. Each issue of Campisi features 24 pages of story and a cardstock cover. Picture the best parts of Christopher's story in The Sopranos. If it began in a D&D or Pathfinder campaign, and you have got the spirit of Patrick's script. In this world, dragons, krakens, and other mythical beasts, they're around, but they're pretty rare. And much like today's skeptics, who don't even believe that the current pandemic is happening, not everyone believes these monsters exist. 
The script spends more time setting up Sonny's supporting cast in the hood he's tasked with protecting, or working, I guess, and it works, rather than getting bogged down in the horror of a dragon showing up. Of course, there's a history behind the dragon's appearance that connects to the medieval opening that's also very clever. Locati's art is extremely angular and at times reminding me a bit of Sean Murphy and at other times almost Larry Stroman-esque. He is yeah, kind of. Right? He's at his best with his larger panels where he can just kind of let the story breathe, like the panels of the dragon flying into Green Village were beautiful. He can get a little too minimalist at times too though in the background where a person just sort of becomes a blob here and there that said this is a great looking book joe and i both really enjoyed kaiju score and the same humor and giant monster plot are here which i guess patrick has a pretty uncommon wheelhouse (laughs) and it focuses (laughs) on criminals and kaiju but damn it it works and i'm giving this a buy it yeah this was awesome when you so just full disclosure, a little peek behind the curtain here at the ziggurat. Uh, this book was a late addition to this week's picks because a book we were going to read got pushed to next week. Uh, and I was like, oh, crap, fantasy book. Oh, great. And then I looked at it. I was like, oh, wait, that's this is some of this is modern. And then I read it. And I was like, this book rules. It's great. This book is great. Yeah. And I, I will say uh, I. It had me from the title of the issue. The first issue story title is a fucking dragon. Yeah. Yeah. And a right fuggin there, dragon. you know, you're getting into it. And I immediately went to Christopher from the Sopranos, like a fucking dragon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's so much fun. And Sonny is such a great character. Like he cares about the neighborhood, right? Yes. He's yes. He works for bad men. He's a bad guy, but. He's not a but totally he's a bad guy bad with a heart guy. of gold, right? No, like he wants that. to like he's he's not into whacking people. He's like he wants people to get the chance they need, but he knows that things are the way they are. Um, I wasn't expecting the the kind of uh, I don't even know if it's fair to call it a twist so much as a development. But uh, when you realize that this is a world where dragons not only exist but they are n- known, yeah. Well, I was like, oh, that's neat. That's just a thing. That's clever. It's like they're around, but some people are like, are they really, though? You know? Well, (laughs) yeah, I mean, like, but it's probably what it'd be like today. They are historically, like, they are a thing, right? Right. Because uh, many of the characters are like, there hasn't been a dragon sighting since such and such flew over Pawtucket in 87 or whatever. Uh, So the, the reason why the dragon's there is super compelling. And the thing that gets the dragon's goat is also, uh, a lot of fun. The art is great. Uh, I was bowled over by this. I, a, a very pleasant surprise. Campisi number one, a huge buy it from me. Yeah, James Patrick. I mean, this guy's on a roll. Good for him. A dragon. Fire and stench. It is evil. Pure and simple. You want me to do better? All right, Joe Patrick, it's new comic book day, 1989. What do you got for us? There can only be one. It's Batman 89 at number one from DC Comics, written by Sam Hamm with art by Joe Quinones. I'm just glad Sam Hamm still work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's $3.99, and here's your solicit. Step back into the Gotham of Tim Burton's seminal classic Batman movies. Batman 89 brings in screenwriter Sam Hamm 
who wrote Batman and Batman Returns, and artist Joe Quinonez, who most recently drew Dial H for Hero. Uh, he also did he also draw Howard the Duck at Marvel, or was that somebody else? I don't think that was him. It may have been somebody else. To pull a number of threads left dangling by the prolific director. Gotham becomes torn in two as citizens dressed as Batman and the Joker duke it out in the streets. As DA Harvey Dent tries to keep the city together, he targets the one problem tearing it apart. Batman. And he'll get Bruce Wayne's help in taking down the Dark Knight. Fat chance, Harvey. Batman screenwriter Sam Hamm took me right back to when I was 11 years old, desperate to see Batman in theaters. My parents deemed it too much for my young eyes for some reason at first, but when it finally showed up at our local blockbuster video, I wore out that VHS tape. Ham's script is appropriately campy and he somehow manages to portray. This is not a joke. One of the most sympathetic versions of Harvey Dent. I think I've ever read. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, I'm talking, I'm talking about the uh, Willie D. Williams version. Joe Quinones did draw the Howard the Duck uh, Zadarsky book, starting with issue two. He did not draw the first one, which is weird. I think Chip Zadarsky drew number one. No, someone named Hastings drew it. Oh, okay. All right, then. We get a brief glimpse of the character that would have been Marlon Wayans as Robin if he had not been cut from Batman Returns. And I can't wait to see if he can wash away the stink of Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> Canonez's art is a visual treat. It's full of little Easter eggs for Burton fans and even a cameo by the artist that put the dance in bat dance. His art has a wonderfully animated quality. It, it does look kind of like a cartoon version of the 1989 Batman film. And he's able to invoke the character of the actors without relying on photorealism. Was I really dying to revisit the world of Tim Burton's Batman. No. Did I have a ton of fun doing it? Absolutely. I'm giving Batman 89 a buy it. So I guess I get to be the jerk now. That's fine. I was expecting it. I don't feel anything for the Burton Batman movies anymore. I, I liked them when I was a kid. I don't think they hold up particularly well over the years. I think the score is definitely the best part. And I think the look of the city and some of the stuff, is the art direction is great. I don't particularly feel anything for those movies anymore. And I think it is because Tim Burton made those movies as an homage to the 60s show that he grew up with. And I don't have any real connection to the Batman 60s show. I grew up reading Batman comics, and I like to see the comic book version of the Batman that I like on the screen. And this felt like something that I just didn't need to revisit. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. It's perfectly fine. Quinones does a good job making this look a little aged, although I will say some of the digital coloring, it looks a little weird on his art, and maybe it's because of his art style. I don't really know. But this just didn't do anything for me. I don't know why we need it other than we're going to see Michael Keaton in a Flash movie at some point. And this seems, I mean, they did Batman 66. They're going to do Superman 78. I know. And it just seems a little, it, it, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. I just don't know who's clamoring for this. And I know you hate it when I do this, but I'm going to do it. Do we need this? That's <laughs> where I'm at. <laughs> like, do we need it? Is this going to sell? I don't I mean, know. We don't, we don't need any do, of these. Do people back. feel for this though? Like, is it, are there people out there that are like, yes, give me a comic book version that revisits that Tim Burton 
Batman. I just don't. I didn't uh, care. Probably. I don't know. I didn't I, care. I mean, but that's fine. Like you're not an asshole for no. saying it's just not your cup I, of tea. I, I felt very little for it. it. It was just. It was what it was. It was kind of ham fisted with Billy D. Williams. Yeah, marry me. Let's flip this coin to see if you'll do it. I, I'm gonna kill you. Let's flip this coin if I decide to let you go. Like, all right, I got it. <laughs> you know, it was what I it mean, was. He wasn't gonna kill. It was written very much like the movie. It's cool they got Sam Ham to do it. I just don't care. I'm giving it a skim it. Would you say it was Sam Ham fisted? It was definitely Sam Ham fisted. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I will give you that. All right. I don't claim you can have a better time with Colt 45 than without it. But why take chances? Let's get to something we can all get behind, or at least 50% of us. Masters of the Universe, Revelation number two from Dark Horse 399, review number two, because we also missed number one. And I want to talk yep. about both. This is written by Kevin Smith, Rob David, Tim Sheridan with art by Mindy Lee. Here's your solicit. Following the vicious Orlax attack on King Randor, He-Man learns the creature is linked to the origin of the Sword of Power and also to his nemesis, Skeletor, go figure, who finally figures, who finally finds himself on the cusp of realizing his dream of capturing Grayskull's secrets. The official prequel to the upcoming Netflix show. Bad news, it's already out. The same creative team that wrote the Netflix show that I can probably predict your personal politics based on whether you enjoyed it or not, writes this tone perfect comic prequel complete with art in an animated style that matches the show. This is the Masters of the Universe comic I wanted DC to produce for years, and it is simply wonderful. The first issue sets up the mystery of the Orlax and Skeletor's return, but the second issue is the Ballad of Skeletor, where he uses his own words and recollections to explain why he is actually the victim and the hero of the story. <laughs> Mindy Lee's art, paired with the coloring talent of Rico Renzi, is perfect. And if you buy the page that I'm thinking about picking up, I'm going to come find your ass. I can't say enough about how good this Masters of the Universe relaunch has been, and I am more than happy to report that Dark Horse is putting out an excellent comic book adaptation that takes the source material and the characters just as seriously as the show. I can't give this a bigger buy it. This comic was fan-fucking-tastic. I mean, I mean, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> your reaction to this comic uh, uh, to me is a little let me ask you did you ever think that skeletor was going to be a sympathetic villain at one point sure but <laughs> i also wasn't sure at the end of the story whether or not don't give that away story don't give that away yeah. that's the best part <laughs> right but i'm not like i'm not saying it's bad right this is a buy it i liked it a lot the art is great um, but like I read it and I was like, yeah, this is a good, he, this is a very good masters of the universe story. All right. What's next on the list? <laughs> yeah. I, like I, 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 like there, there was nothing about it. And again, I, I'm, I don't mean to sound like a jerk, but like your reaction to it is much more than, than mine was like, I thought it was good. I liked it a lot. I'll read the next one. That's about the, that's all I got. This comic book is ridiculous. This this sympathetic backstory that you're praising is ridiculous. It's inherently silly. It is. And it did more to flesh out this character than they've ever yes. done. Uh, uh, and then uh, they and do again, this one trick 
this and that's, one trick in the very end that was almost like a usual suspects moment that I just went, sure. oh, that's good. Oh. Right. And, 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 all of, and all of that is fair, but also like I would have been okay if Skeletor was just the same Skeletor as ever. You know, like I, there wasn't like a Skeletor, um, there wasn't a sympathy for Skeletor shaped hole in my heart that needed filling is I guess my point. Well, but uh, is it full? That's the thing. (laughs) But there was no hole. So now I'm like, my heart has been spackled over by this feeling. Uh, No, it's a good comic. It's a good comic. Don't, but look, look, check your expectations at the door. It's a comic book about He-Man, okay? Wow. Dick move, Joe Patrick. Which again, look, I'm not saying it's bad or downplaying the talents of the creators yeah. i'm just saying head to nerd.com and pick up your joe patrick dips his balls in the in the thing that you love <laughs> t-shirt i'm right just now. saying like <laughs> matt mom's reaction to it is a little extreme is all i'm saying i loved it that's great i'm really glad silence you funny fool our last review of the week goes to Defenders number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Al Ewing with art by Javier Rodriguez. It's $3.99. Here's your solicit. Uh, they're superstars. I'm not yelling this shit. They're reuniting for a Cosmos colliding journey. Coward. When exists. Look, Matt, I live in an apartment. I'm using a tiny microphone. My wife's in the next room. I'm not shouting. I'm sorry. Guess who doesn't I don't care. live in a house where I can shut the door. When existence itself faces extraordinary threats, it needs an extraordinary defense. That's when you call the Defenders. Dr. Strange and the Masked Raider take a non-team of Marvel's weirdest, wildest heroes on a mission that will uncover the hidden architecture of reality itself. The Cosmos was not the first to exist, but if the Defenders can't track Marvel's oldest villain through the deepest trenches of time, it might be the last. Now, I'm not going to lie. The more I read of this masked raider nonsense, the more I'm kind of into it. (laughs) It helps greatly that Al Ewing has been kind of guiding it the whole time. But the mystery of the masked vigilante wearing a mask made out of eternity has been building since Marvel Comics 1000, which feels like a billion years ago already. Yeah. And I think that's the main that that's really the only it's hard to stay connected when hardly anything. That's really the only problem here. Things have come to a head as the writer needs Strange's help to stop a madman from recreating the universe in his own image. No big deal. This is about where Matt would say something about how he's never given a shit about the Defenders. Which I have I get. never given a shit about the Defenders. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I sort of get it. But also, I've decided that that's kind of the beauty of the Defenders. There's yeah. nothing really to get too invested in. They aren't a team. They aren't a family. They are a disparate collection of heroes thrown together by fate. Because the universe demands it, which I think is a really cool way to think about them. Ewing has Strange and the Masked Raider flex at each other for a few pages, gorgeously illustrated by Rodriguez. Then the non-team building begins and they don't come willingly. (laughs) And the group is suddenly thrust into an amazing and hilarious. Look. The the title of the next issue in the little next issue. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm not going to say it. Stop spoiling shit. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Yeah, I great. laughed so hard. This issue, by necessity, is heavy on history and team building, but I wasn't bored for a single second thanks to the stunning work by Rodriguez. Defenders number one is a fantastic start for this latest iteration of the group, but honestly, 
You could have told me that Ewing and Rodriguez were tackling the adventures of Steel Grip Starkey, and I'd still come running. I love Steel Grip Starkey. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you do. I do. Uh, I'm giving this a huge buy it. I loved it. Yeah, I don't give a shit about the defenders, but when Al, you bring someone like Al Ewing in, and he, do, he just does this really simple thing where Doctor Strange is like, oh shit, I need help. I better go to the tarot deck of whatever and just yeah. draw some cards, and it just pulls the heroes that the universe thinks should work. That's cool. Yeah, like uh, like the silver server was on the toilet. Yeah, and he's like, God damn it, that, Steven. And that is cool as hell. And even though I don't give a shit about like Betty as a harpy or whatever, whatever. Universe decides she needs to be there. Okay, I'm in. Let's go. And this is a fun way to do it. I cannot say enough about this art. It is so badass and <laughs> weird and perfect for a book like this. Yeah. Get this team on a Doctor Strange book, by the way. Oh my God. <laughs> it's going to be, it would be amazing. I've given this a buy it as well. I, I never cared about the defenders. Al Ewing has proven he can write just about anything he wants. And I'm in. I love the guy. Uh, so, I mean, uh, there's a, there's a joke. It's not a joke. Uh, there is a reference in this issue to the secret defenders, which was a nineties comic very uh the the concept was very similar in that it had dr strange assembling random teams of heroes uh as the situation dictated yeah like Iceman was there for a while and like, yeah well i mean it was like it was weird like terror ink you know yeah. shows up it, Blade it's like, was there <laughs> but here's but here's like the problem with the secret defenders because it was the the early 90s the heroes the adventure demanded just happened to be heroes marvel was trying to sell books for well right so it's like oh the punisher's here again terror inc is here why because he's got a book out oh joe you patrick know? doesn't want a business to act like a business <laughs> no I, but i'm saying like I, I i think that the skeleton of that idea is really good and ewing uses it really well here mm -hmm. it's like Look, I can't help it, man. The universe said you had to be here. Yeah, that's how they Sorry. always should have done this. The team that's not a team, I got now I buy it. Now I'm like, yeah. Doctor Strange does something like I need help from the universe and, and wiggles his fingers and, you know, Razorback shows up. Whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, bring out exactly, exactly. <laughs> and in. I would buy that. It's like, yes, there is a reason why. Totally. There's a reason why Razorback is essential to this adventure. Sooner or later, it's going to be there's a big rig that a, he needs to drive. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a cosmic convoy, and there's only yeah. one way to get it through hell, Come and on. that's Razorback. That is eight new comics reviewed. But, Joe, now we got to do the hard work. We each have to pick one from this pile this that goes into the THN permanent collection. Which book is getting bag boarded? And boxed up, never to be looked at again. <laughs> I, God damn it! I hate this part. Uh, I was gonna, I was gonna say that the big guns don't really need any help from us, and I was gonna give it to Campisi because I really liked that comic. I really liked it, and it uh, was a pleasant surprise. I doubted myself for a second, and I thought I was gonna switch and give it to X Men, but that's X Men number two. Fuck X Men number two. It goes to Campisi number one. Give in mind Ken PC number one as well, because I think Patrick is a name that we're going to be talking about. There's no way that he sets up two series in a row this good without going on to do more kick-ass stuff. I think yeah. he's, he's going to be a name to watch. I think it was super original. As much as I love the Masters of the Universe comic book, it is very reliant on the show. And if you're not watching the show, you know, right. then I don't know if you care. Or if you don't care about Masters of the Universe, I don't know if you care. 
but this just was original. It was awesome. And I think that guy's really talented. I really like Locati's art as well. I'm also giving it to Ken Peasy. You can find this episode's review list on our Twitter and Facebook weekly on Wednesdays if you want to read along. And don't forget to check our Instagram feed. That's right. We have one. Aha! And we remembered that we did. We post our covers of the week there as well. Also, let us know what you thought of these comics and anything you read on our live call-in show. It's THN Cover to Cover. And we'll be here this Saturday on Facebook Live from 11 to noon Central Time. Don't forget to check out our only fan site where we rub these comics all over our naked bodies. We do not have an only fan site. Oh, it's coming soon. Coming soon. Mm. We're still talking this one through. That's it for reviews. Now it's time to break the bonds of time and space as we talk about the future of our must-read picks for next week's comics in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. The whole lower level of the uh, ziggurat is still flooded, so we're just stuck in here. So here we are. Joe, if these nerds... Well, I mean, we didn't have to go far then. No. If these nerds are buying only one comic book next week, what should it be? Next week, it's got to be The Trial of Magneto, number one from Marvel. It's $4.99. It's written by Leah Williams with art by Lucas Wernick? Yeah, I think so. That seems... All right, we'll go with that. Here's your solicit. The story that will shake Krakoa to its core! A horrific murder. A shocking revelation. A trial that will divide the new mutant nation. Leah Williams. Oh, okay, here we go. I should have read a little farther down. It's Leah Williams and Valerio Skeety. No apologies to Lucas Warneck. Maybe I, he's the colorist or the inker. I, I don't, don't know. know if it changed or not, though, because I saw in two different places that he's on the art, including the Marvel site. Uh, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I don't know. And did, wasn't it supposed to be John Romita Jr.? He did the cover. He's just doing that one cover? And that was He's the not news? doing just this one cover. He's doing the cover of this book, and he's also doing some stuff in the Fantastic Four 60th anniversary. Oh, I didn't even think he, had, he was on the main cover on this one. Oh, I don't know if it's the main cover or not, but he's he not. Drew... He's not even the main cover. He's like on a variant cover. Oh, well, you know what? He did the promo art, which I assume is a variant cover. Yeah. Anyway, these creators bring you a new epic that threatens the reign of X and will d- upend the world of mutants. The truth is hidden, uh, except it's not. The danger is far from over. That part's true. And the trial has begun. Spoiler alert. The Scarlet Witch has been murdered, uh, which they spoiled at the uh, which. Happened at the end of the Hellfire Gala, and then Marvel immediately rushed out and told every comic book news outlet that would listen uh, that that's what happened. So, yeah, Scarlet Witch is dead, and they think Magneto did it, and now he's on trial for murder. Tell you what. I'm excited. The only thing I love more than a wedding in comics is a trial. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so I uh, well, and look, down. The last The last time Magneto had a trial, Uncanny X-Men 200, one of the best comics ever written. Yeah, man. It was awesome. Matt Bomb, I stole your pick. So why don't you uh, tell us about the pick that you uh, chose as a consolation prize? So this one got pushed back. It was supposed to come out like last week, but it's coming out next week for some reason. It's Elric, the Dreaming City, number one from Titan Comics. It's written by Julian Blondell with art by Julian Tello. No relation. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, how, that's, not, that's how first names work. Here's your solicit. Gorgeous comic adaptation of Morgoth's world-renowned cult fantasy. That's not a sentence. You need to start with something like, this is a 
gorgeous comic adaptation. But regardless, Elric of Melonbone is exiled from his home. Melonbone. Well, but there's like a little monkey bone. It's monkey bone. Is exiled from his home and cursed to walk the land under the influence of the god of chaos, Ariok. With his sword, Stormbringer, Elric must find his way through the unknown. First time that Moorcock's novels have been fully adapted in chronological order! Uh, boy, oh, somebody, the copy, the copy editor did not do a good job with no, this one. No, I almost wonder if they ran this through Google Translate, but whatever. I love yes. Elric. I love Michael Moorcock. I've been listening to uh, Moorcock audiobooks read by this British guy at night when I'm super high and I'm just trying to go to sleep. And they just rock you to sleep. But then you wake up and you would not believe the weird shit that's going on in these books, man. <laughs> this is high fantasy. This is Joe Patrick is allergic to this kind of fantasy. I'm so excited to read Magical it. Magical elf shit. It looks absolutely gorgeous. The art is beautiful. I love Elric. Isn't Elric himself kind of an elf? He's from an elven race. He's not kind of an elf, Joe. He is an elf. As, uh, Elric is an elf. That is the whole story. Yes, he is uh, elven. Right. Great. The DHN trade of the week goes to Sweet Tooth The Return. It's a trade paperback from DC slash Black Label. It's uh, written and drawn by Jeff Lemire. Uh, if there was a price, I totally missed it. But suffice to say, it's probably about 20 bucks. Hold on. Here's your solicit. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Gus. He had antlers and lived with his father in a little cabin in the woods. Then his father died, and the big man with cold eyes took Gus away. Gus went on many great adventures, found friends, love, happiness, family, and acceptance. Now, years later, it begins again. A young boy with antlers and deer-like features wakes in a bizarre and completely foreign world where the last humans struggle to survive. They tell the boy he is special. He is chosen and that he alone can lead them back to a world dominated by the oppressive hybrids. This is by acclaimed creators that I've already mentioned. Also, colorist Jose Valerublia. You can get it all for $17.99. It's a $17.99. (laughs) Cheap as free. Uh, So, yeah, you just finished binging Sweet Tooth, and then you waited uh, four months, and you're like, man, I wish there was a Sweet Tooth comic. (laughs) Good news, there is. And it is wild uh, so this is the, the return yes. though this is the jeff lemire's return to sweet tooth after many years if you read uh, sweet tooth before you are not rereading sweet tooth no 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 though. this is a new story a brand new story uh it's it's so good sweet tooth so good so good absolutely check it out there is a second season of sweet tooth coming and they announced it with the most adorable video yeah it was so cute here. uh some some fancy chocolatier sent the entire cast huge chocolate bars uh, with antlers on them that said season two. It was so cute. And I love like the little kid and the guy that plays Gus. The first thing they did was like they just opened it and were like, what? And bit it. And then they're like, it was great. You be sure to pre-order these comics if you're looking for a quality read and be sure to tune in for our THN book club read for August. That's the tale of mystery of the meanest teacher. 
a giant Constantine mystery, and we'll be having our cowpokes, Jason Sachs and Ryan Mount, along for the ride. Cowpokes? Yeah! I don't know why Sweet Tooth suddenly became a Western, but yeah, I went with it. You sound like you're Louisiana, sir. <laughs> I went I went with it, okay? I was say, it's a hot, sticky day on the bayou. Yeah, All you want to do is stay inside and read the teen adventures of young John Constantine in the goddamn air conditioning. <laughs> Accents are not my strong No, speech. or acting, apparently. <laughs> I mean, I thought the acting was pretty good. I don't know, man. Suicide Squad hit theaters and HBO Max this weekend, and we'll talk about how it completely tanked because everyone wanted to see the airs cut on Cover to Cover this Saturday. But now... The comic pushers are here to put some highly addictive Suicide Squad comics in your sweaty, shaking, chunky hands. Joe, what do you got for these filthy little addicts? Uh, Well, I guess it's only fair I start with the volume that inspired the movie, or at least in part. That is Suicide Squad Trial by Fire. We're talking the first collected edition of the John Ostrander, Kim Yale, Luke McDonald, Suicide Squad from the mid '80s. This is a uh, a rebranding of sorts of the Suicide Squad concept, which was more of like a military adventure right. kind of series in the late '50s. This is Task Force X, a group of secret government agents that just so happen to be hardened criminals, used by Amanda Waller. To solve problems too dirty for regular superheroes. And if they do well, they might get some time knocked off their sentence. If they do poorly or they try to escape, kablamo! They get killed. They get killed. And they might just get killed anyway. Uh, This is a truly wonderful run of comics by John Ostrander. Uh, His wife, Kim Yale. Uh, who is not credited on the book for a lot of it, uh, and artist Luke McDonald. It is formative stuff for a lot of comic fans uh, and artists like Michelle Fifa, creator of Cobra. And this is where it got its start. This is uh, speeding out of the Legends event in the early post-crisis DC universe. Oh, man. uh, Where uh, G. Gordon Godfrey who was secretly glorious Godfrey from apocalypse. How could they have guessed that though? I know (laughs) he was, he was posing as like a, almost like a televangelist, but not religious. Right. He was uh, maybe like an Alex Jones or a Bill O'Reilly. And he was uh, poisoning America against superheroes and America fell for it. And at the end of legends, Godfrey is vanquished. The villain is defeated and the suicide squad is reborn under Amanda Waller and Rick Flagg. Rick Flagg Jr., by the way. And this is such great stuff. Like, uh, this is a collection of shorter stories. It's not like one long arc, but uh, the first arc gives you this this kind of glimpse into what the characters are all about. It's got Captain Boomerang. It's got uh, Bronze Tiger, who is an old favorite. Who I'm Uh, super bummed out did not get a, like is not in the movie i wanted I know, bronze tiger I know. so bad and they did like miss her chance they could have unfrozen him and he's still all 70s you know like yeah, black exploitation right. you know like jim kelly black ninja type shit you know <laughs> now they did uh, they did do a recent batman animated movie and bronze that tiger 70s yeah that's 70s style with bronze tiger and richard dragon in it and i'm excited to, to watch that 
uh, but yeah, so it, they 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 fight. Uh, it's very like kind of ripped from the headlines of the eighties. So like they fight a uh, a team of Middle Eastern terrorists called the Jihad. There's one issue uh, that is uh, about white supremacy and a vigilante called William Hell. Did it like William Tell? He shoots arrows. I don't know who either of those. He's dressed like in medieval garb. I'm not and, as old uh, yeah, as you, so these references are such a great, lost on me. That's so. such a great twist. <laughs> yes, Suicide Squad, Trial by Fire, the introduction of the John Ostrander uh, version of the Suicide Squad that has persisted for 35 years now. It's wonderful stuff. So I'm just going to come right out. I've never read that Suicide Squad. I've, I really never have. I'm experiencing and it for the first time right now. My first dose of the suicide squad was in 2001 and it was when keith giffen was writing suicide squad with paco medina on art this was spinning out of the our worlds at war storyline that took place in the superman books i was reading joe kelly was on one and i believe joe casey was on the other and i fell in love with paco medina's art so when i saw that he was doing suicide squad i went I'm giving it oh, a shot. Oh yeah, this was uh this kind of spun out of our worlds at war, I think, or That's at least exactly what I just in said. In part. Oh, sorry, I, <laughs> my mistake. I try not to pay attention to you. Apparently not. That's exactly what I just said. I thought you said it spun out of Superman. No, my mistake. Well, our worlds at war was a storyline that ran through Superman. It re- it was a line wide event, right. but uh, Superman was definitely was a very a, a Superman main event, component, yeah. right? After the ruin, here, this is your solicit for the complete one through 12. There's only 12 issues of this, but it was so much fun. After the ruins of our worlds at war, Sergeant Rock, now a general, is back in action to lead the squad to victory or to death. The question remains, how can the squad's leader come up with a plan to take on the biological weapon that's gone out of control? This is just the beginning of the political intrigue and corporate deceptions from LexCorp all the way to the presidency. So this was like totally rooted in a lot of stuff that was going on in Superman at the time. Sergeant Rock was back. But Sergeant Rock was also dead. So there was some mystery uh, there. <laughs> yeah. So Sar- uh, Sergeant Rock, very like um, apocryphally, Sergeant Rock, the character, was killed by the last bullet fired during World War II. Right. And he acknowledges that in this series. And yeah. Keith Giffen was building to a mystery that they never really got to investigate that I loved and i the adding sergeant rock as this foil for amanda waller who's still very much here but they are butting heads a lot and this was such a great take on the squad and like the characters were ridiculous there wasn't it's this has almost nothing to do with the movie characters or even the john ostrander version that joe mentioned but this series was so much fun you can get the whole thing for in one book called suicide squad casualties of war it is the entire 12 issues i highly suggest that it was so much fun yeah i really liked it and while i wish that they had maybe it had maybe lasted longer i do remember very distinctly that giffen put a button on the end of his sergeant rock mystery oh definitely um but you know uh but in a way that that made you want more, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I really liked this run. I, I haven't read it since it first came out. I don't know if it holds up. I'd like to revisit it. Um, but yeah, I was a big fan at the time. I read the first four issues just because I was like, I should see if it's still good. It's still good. Awesome. I mean, I love Keith Giffen. So, yeah. Yeah. Next up for me, I'm sticking to the uh, OG Suicide Squad or at least the 
OG, this version of the Suicide Squad. We're talking about the Phoenix Gambit. It was a story from the 1990s. And at this point, Kim Yale is being credited as co-writer, or at least by the time the trade came out, they were crediting her, which is very nice. Uh, The Phoenix Gambit is notable because this is one of the several times that John Ostrander and Kim Yale basically like pulled the rug out from under the suicide squad and completely revamped the entire concept in this storyline. We skip an entire year ahead, which is another old uh, standby for DC one year later. Uh, At this point, Amanda had been sentenced to prison. Uh, We catch up with her and the squad a year afterwards, and she has turned task force X from a government black ops team into a freelance mercenary squad working for the highest bidder, very a team, but also with deaths and nobody falls asleep after drinking milk. Well, not so much the a team because they weren't mercenaries. I mean, they were mercenaries for good. Yeah. They were soldiers of fortune. Yeah. They were good. They weren't bad guys. Right. But that's what I mean. Yes. If you could find their first, they lived in the LA underground and you can afford them. Right. You can find them. (laughs) Yeah, You can afford to hire, but you know, who could afford to hire their suicide squad? Their first client, Batman, (laughs) their first client after becoming mercenaries was Batman. He just happens to be a billionaire. That's fun as hell. It's uh, Jeff Isherwood is the artist at this point in the run. It's great stuff. Really one through 62 of the suicide squad. Don't be a jerk. Check it out. It's it's I need to read those. fired so many stories. There's a reason why they keep churning out Suicide Squad comics. Yeah, I need it's to because read of this. I'm going to jump all the way to last year's Suicide Squad Bad Blood Story. It's written by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. This collects Suicide Squad Volume 6, number 1 through 11. Here's a solicit in this new collection. Suicide Squad is assigned to neutralize a group of international super terrorists known as the revolutionaries and the survivors are forced into joining the squad who can Harley Quinn and Deadshot trust when their new teammates are the very people their crew was assigned to kill. This squad might survive their next mission, but they may not survive each other. And with a quote unquote team like this, the body count starts high and only gets higher. Now I haven't, (laughs) I haven't cared about the suicide squad for a very long time, but you put a guy like Tom Taylor on this book and suddenly Tom Taylor just has this skill yes. of taking side characters that you never gave a crap about and making you care instantly making you care. Yeah. The for sure. guy is a fantastic writer. This is the same team that worked on injustice together, which while I can't say that I really cared about the whole plot behind injustice, people loved that book that these guys wrote, loved it. Redondo was an, excellent artist this was some of the best modern suicide squad i've ever encountered well and now the two of them are killing it on nightwing redondo is the main artist of Nightwing. same team that did nightwing so if you're digging nightwing go check out this run it was fantastic yeah you know i i like you uh i was never like a huge fan of the suicide squad i i knew that they were important i knew that they were beloved but everything that had happened with the suicide squad since the new 52 left me 
totally cold. Yeah, I, well, I don't care. I wasn't into it. I didn't Suicide like it. Squad is one of those things where it's just so easy to go extreme. You right. Know? And, 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 and while that's like, yes, the Suicide Squad, it can be a gritty book. It's violent. There sure. are deaths. And it should be, but it doesn't but have to just be that. That's it doesn't have to be easy. like the poochy version of extreme, right. of extreme. You know what I mean? It's just too and, easy to do that. And I think for right. too long, that's all it was. Right. Exactly. And I like to be perfectly fair. There's a lot of it. I didn't bother reading because I didn't like what they started off with. They started totally. off on a, on the wrong foot for me. Um, this though, Taylor had my attention already as a writer. And when this came out, I was in and it is awesome. Cause he writes the book just like Nightwing. He writes the book with soul. You can feel the book has a soul. It's got a purpose. You care. It's not just like violent violence committed by criminal violent violence. Yeah. You know? Like, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, right. and like, so <laughs> Tom, like Tom Taylor is a, is a writer that we have been waiting to get a shot at the big time for literally years. And like we, we make fun of injustice. We make fun of deceased. But people love those books. They love and them. And they are generally very well reviewed. And the last time I reviewed a deceased comic, I gave it a buy it. It's it, yeah. It was really and good. I recently, for the very first time, sat down and read his entire run of All New Wolverine, which is uh the run where X23 becomes the new Wolverine. It was wonderful. It's so good, you yeah, guys. It it's was so wonderful. wonderful and charming and heartwarming and it like and so much more than just a stunt like Wolverine's girl. They're like, no, no, yeah, no, no. So like, much more than that. Taylor, Taylor did more to make X-23 a viable leading character in 25 issues, 35 maybe. It, it was not long. Then anybody, including her creators, did yeah. in all of the years going back to her debut. And that's what Taylor does. He comes on a book and he's like, this is why this character is cool. We'll go deeper into that next time on uh, God bless you, Tom Taylor cast, but yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but yes, no, this suicide squad run is great. It would have been my second pick, but I didn't get to it fast enough. And that's just the way it goes with comic pushers. We are going to be talking about the suicide squad this weekend on cover to cover. And we would love to hear about your favorite suicide squad comic reads, or maybe you never gave a shit about the suicide squad. Check these out. Let us know. Are we wrong? You might love it. Who knows? And you know what? We should have had a bronze tiger. I'm just saying it. They should have had a bronze tiger, damn it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Come bronze on. Tiger, he is really great. I know. Excelsior. Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 630. Next week, it is time for another Cosmic Longbox show where we pick a theme and take a look at some classic comics. Joe, I don't know how this happened, but the theme is Suicide Squad members in comics serendipity. Huh? But, the but the catch is we're not reading Suicide Squad comics. No, we're going to talk we're about the characters. We're reading comics featuring characters that are in or have been in the Suicide Squad. Well, I think everybody we picked are in this movie as well. I think oh, we, yes, I think you're right. Specifically, we picked characters that are in the only movie, yes. The Suicide Squad. Nobody paid us a cent for this. No, we don't get a paid a cent for this. That sounds like I'm hinting at something, but really, nobody paid us a, a cent for this. Bad marketing idea. We're just bad at this. Yeah, we're just doing it for free. We're giving it away. Now, if you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerd news we're following, Hit us up on that same live show I just mentioned. It's called THN Cover to Cover. We do it on Saturdays at 11 Central Standard Time. 
It's hosted live on our Facebook page where we have our Zoom that's up there. You can jump into our Zoom. There's a link that's right there in the Facebook chat. If you want to join us, we'd love to have you. One of the things we like to also talk about on Cover to Cover, our question of the week. Joe Patrick, reset that shit. This week's question is courtesy of Wooly Toots. Name a former comic creator that deserves more recognition for their time in the industry. Now, this can be somebody that's dead or somebody that's retired. I think, yeah, we decided they're no longer working in comics. I, I would say, and like, look, we're not going to like fact check you. If somebody that you picked is it like did a one shot fill in or ink something into you, like who cares? I will jump down your about- throat. All right. We're talking about somebody <laughs> that is no longer a driving force in the industry. Jim Ostrander, for example. I mean, I would probably fight you on John Ostrander, but John you Ostrander. get the, you get the joke. God you, or you get the idea. You get the idea. Is he, has he done anything recently? John Ostrander has written comics in the modern day, so I'm not saying that he is a former comic book creator. Last 10 years. If you'd like me to make a list, Matt, I'll have to go to Google because right, I can't right. give you that. But yes, he's written comics within the last 10 years. All right, fair enough. Now, please do bear in mind that we do this as often as we can, hopefully once a week. We need your question of the week suggestions. How do you get those to us? You might ask. You can send them through email. You can post them on Twitter. You could shout at us on Facebook. You can even call and leave a message on the THN hotline, that's 402-819-4894. We also have the forums, which I think right now are only populated by soccer bots. I think that's true. But they, yeah. those bots, they love them some soccer. And Brian Domingos. <laughs> Brian Domingos and soccer bots. Yep. If you can't show up live, you can shoot an MP3 to 2 gmail.com or leave a message on the aforementioned hotline. Once again, that number is 402-819-4894. You can and will be internet famous, just like the soccer bots that we just mentioned on our show. It's true. If you're new to the show and you wish somebody would write us out of the podcasting game, just like Bronze Tiger got written out of the Suicide Squad script, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive over at twoheadednerd.com, but hosting that many episodes. We're talking 630 plus episodes. It's probably like a thousand when we really get down to it. It's quite a few. It ain't cheap. So I want to thank patrons like Richard Kovars, who I'm pretty sure we've thanked before because every time we do that, I think of Rorschach. Whose name is very close? Corvax. It's Richard Kovacs. Kovacs. Yes. Yeah, Richard Kovacs. And unfortunately, Richard Kovars is not trapped in here with us. We're trapped in here with him. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Stately Lord Fungus and QE to Stately Lord Fungus, uh, the Queen Mother, the Queen Mother of the Mushroom Kingdom, passed last week. Uh, and uh, our hearts go with them, our dear friends from across the pond. Yeah. We're here for you if you need it. Word to both of you. The crown passes to you, sir. And then heavy wears the head that wears the crown. Wow, you just butchered all of that yeah, I don't Arthurian shit. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might just crack jokes about you becoming a gang after your mom dies. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. <laughs> I bet British people fucking hate King Arthur. I bet they hate King Arthur nah, content. I don't think they do. I think he's like Paul Bunyan.